Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. We have a treat for you on our latest episode of Soundtracking, not just in the shape of our guest, but also the quite magnificent score that accompanies his new film. For director Dome Karakoski wisely enlisted the services of the incomparable Thomas Newman for Tolkien, a biopic on the life of the Hobbit and Lord of the Rings author. Starring Nicholas Holt, Lily Collins, Colmini and Derek Jacobi, Tolkien charts the writer's formative years as his creativity, friendships and love affair with Edith Bratt are put to the test by the outbreak of World War I. As ever, you'll hear plenty of Thomas's music throughout the conversation, as well as examples of Hilda Gunnar-Totted and Lasse Ennison's work on one of Dome's previous movies, Tom of Finland. Before that, a word from our good friends at Craft Gin Club. There is nothing better than settling down to watch a movie at home with your favourite tipple. I've got to say, I got quite into it last Christmas, having made my own slow gin. I won't get into specifics now, but, well, perhaps I'll put my secret recipe up for you on Twitter. We're at Soundtracking UK. In the meantime, how do you fancy a monthly delivery of a full-size bottle of gin and mixers to make both a perfect serve gin and tonic and a cocktail of the month? Well, thanks to our friends at Craft Gin Club, the number one subscription service for gin lovers, we're giving you, fans of soundtracking, the chance to sign up for membership and get 50% off your first order. Delivery is free. All you've got to do is head to craftginclub.co.uk, use the code SOUND50 and sit back, plan your film viewing and wait for your delivery. You'll also get a selection of sweet and savoury treats, plus a magazine filled with recipes, distiller stories and more. So head to craftginclub.co.uk and use the code SOUND50 to take advantage of this great offer. And so to Tolkien and Thomas Newman's score, which has a timeless quality, reflecting the transcendent nature of the world J.R.R. Tolkien went on to create, rather than the period in which the narrative is set. Tommy, welcome to Soundtracking. It's Thank a real you. pleasure to, to meet you. I was lucky enough to see a couple of your previous films as well, but I got to talk at length about um, Tom of Finland, which I absolutely loved um, on a radio show. So it's a real pleasure to get to meet you, but also to see your new film, Tolkien. I loved it. I thought it was just glorious. It was uh, just a great story and told so beautifully. So congratulations. Thank you. I'm very pleased to hear. <laughs> I mean, um, you always, as a filmmaker, you also always feel like a certain amount of being in sufficient or uncertain yeah i wonder if ever in your life you stop 
accepting praise. I think it's always it's there's not there, easy there's thing this, to take, is this it? all yeah, this yeah. weird personal feeling of kind of your mother or your father or someone important to you yeah. saying you did well. You didn't yeah. you didn't mess it up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which is very important. But there's so much to talk about. There are kind of three eras in the film weaved beautifully by the performances by all the actors the, the casting of these these characters at different stages is in their life and stuff but central to this is nicholas's performance which i think is um just shows the different sides to this character i think so so beautifully um, i wanted to ask before we get into music about the casting and whether that was a was it a tricky process or was it actually it was surprisingly easy i mean when i jumped on the project two and a half years ago wow. i read the current script version then and it needed work and I worked with the writers and, and worked also with actors later on the script and kind of reworked, reworked, reworked on it yeah. until the end. But when I met Nicholas, I didn't have yet the script that would define how I saw the ending result. Mm -hmm. So I didn't want to show him the script, which is, let's say it's abnormal. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he was on the top of my list. He was on top of the studio. I just worked with him on the favorite. Yeah. So they were like, you know, keen on like, mm -hmm. great, Nicholas is great. You should meet him. And abnormal it is because usually you have a script and then the actor comes prepared and talks about the role and yeah. the character and you talk about how you see and then, you know, sometimes you match and sometimes not. So I didn't have that script. I didn't want to show it to him. So I'm like, okay, uh, what did I do? Um, mm, mm, I'm supposed to meet him tomorrow. The studio, you know, they were quick when I, when we kind of agreed, let's meet let's Nicholas meet first. So then I remembered my father, he was a poet by heart, but he also supported himself by acting, and it's one of his passions. And he had an audition for Costa Gavras. Those who know, he's a famous Greek slash French, later French and later American filmmaker. And he was prepared for the role. You know, he's supposed to meet Costa Gavras, this famous, you know, award-winning filmmaker. And then they sat in a cafe and, and they didn't talk about the film at all. For two hours, they just talked about life, politics, and at the end of the meeting, Costa Gavras would say, George, who was my father's name, George, I think you're a wonderful human being, but you're not right for the role. And uh, the story doesn't tell which role, which film. I think my father never tells when he didn't get the role. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I, I remember, I think he was just telling about different experiences when I was a starting filmmaker about different audition experiences. So I applied that with Nicholas. And what was intriguing about Nicholas is that when we talked about life, we talked about football, everything, where we're from, what are our thoughts. I found this wit in him and this warmth in him and a kind of goofiness, a bit of a hobbit, uh, <laughs> that I hadn't really seen in films that I had seen from him. And But I had seen his acting scale, like how he strings the violin or how he bashes the drums while he's acting, you know, the different scales. And after that, it just felt like, okay, it has to be Nick. And then it becomes just kind of a, after that, it became, how would you say, a desperate way of getting him from the X-Men shoot, which is a long shoot, yeah. early enough for us to have him on set. Wow. Music is a, a massive thing in the film, not just from the wonderful score that Thomas Newman's created for you, but it's part of the narrative. You yes. Know, these two characters within this film. The music is very intrinsic in the life, Christopher and Edith. Yes. Um, and, and for and him too. Go on, yeah. Yeah, and to interrupt. Yeah, no, go. <laughs> you know, in Tolkien's mythology, is legendary in the Silmarillion. The world is created with music. The music of the Ainu, which is kind of, you know, their spirits or gods, kind of demigods created by the, you know, the creative all beings, Eru Ilúvatar. And there's, of course, in, in Tolkien's works, music and, you know, the elven songs or the hobbits singing or the dwarves singing. Music is so vital in his works that we, with Thomas Newman, we worked on it for a year. Wow. And he, his team said that it's one of 
You know, Thomas Newman, he has 14 Oscar nominations. He's done some magnificent work with the American Beauties, with the Shawshank Redemptions, yeah. you know, just classical films which you adore. The Lost Boys for me. Yeah, so many. <laughs> there's so many. Uh, Skyfall, if you <laughs> yeah. about some of the new ones, uh, yeah. which is, of course, also a new take on mm -hmm. Bond movies. team said, you know, Thomas hasn't in a long while worked, they didn't even remember the team that had worked with him for 30 years, a film that he's worked so long on. on. And I think it was, it became a passion project for him yeah. very much because he found these instruments that were very unearthly. And I often didn't want to know, what is the sound? But no, no, don't tell me. <laughs> I don't want, I want to imagine that it comes, it's from an unearthly place. Yeah. It's somewhere from a mystical, ethereal place that... Mm -hmm. I can only imagine. So he would play, bring these instruments that I'd never seen or heard of. So it was quite a wonderful experience uh, with him. What do you think his connection was with with this project then that made him want to kind of dive into it in a way that he hasn't done for a long time? First, I just, you know, suggested the head of Fox Music that, you know, Thomas Newman would be great for this. And, you know, he can choose his jobs. <laughs> when you have 14 <laughs> yeah. Oscar, nominations, Oscar nominations, you can, can choose. Picky. You can be picky. And <laughs> so, oh, let's um, let's sometime the script. And uh, he really loved the script. He had responded, I just read it twice, I really liked the script. And, and then um, I sent him a couple of my old films and we Skyped and, and then he really liked uh, some of my old films. And, 
and I mean all of them he was very gracious <laughs> saying that he loved all of them but you know you never know <laughs> but I think there was this sentiment when I explained him about the Tolkien and the ideal how deep rooted the music is yeah. in his works and in his thinking I think that's something that struck him okay now I get it this is kind of the elven cues or the you know the music of the Ainur kind of we are building something like that And then they, he would bring ideas. He would bring ideas. Like in the film, we have words because we have the film is also about love of language. So he brings in his music kind of these old Celtic, Gothic, old English words in the music. They become kind of instruments. Yeah, they are not. Choral kind yeah, of choral. Yeah, choral. Yeah, kind of a part of the instruments. And uh, I think he just found something in this film to that he could explore things about music that he hasn't done before, or at least in a while. It's beautiful the way that the film, the score starts off. It's really tender the way the music starts mm. in quite a brutal environment. You know, it's a kind of real contrast really to what's going on in the picture and the music is really tender and beautiful.
thing that I've been kind of thinking about since I saw the film only a few hours ago is that I never knew anything about Tolkien prior to the books and, and watching the, the Peter Jackson's film sort of thing. And it makes me want to know more after mm. watching your film. And I wanted to ask you about diving into his world and how much... Because I, I guess there's, you can't stop because you, you kind of want to know more and more and mm. more as you're going into to finding this story. But where music fitted in and started for him, because it was obviously a huge influence on him. Was it Edith? Or was music something that was part of his world prior to, to that? Well, if you think about if your wife is a pianist, mm -hmm. <laughs> I think there's, of course, the music has been a part of him and he would love, and he would often talk about music. Well, there's two things to understand. Mm. A, I'm a Tolkien fan, so of course I built the film through the perspective of Tolkien fan and understanding Tolkien in, in a, maybe a more deep-rooted way, as you pointed out, that you don't know his books that well. But yet, at the same time, you have to build the story so that it works for a person like you, who's not read, read the books. So Edith was a part of his inspiration, or Edith helped him and also inspired, of course, to write about the Elven Ladies. So I believe Edith in many ways, also because of piano. There was this, this, there was this uh, exhibition in, in the Bodleian Library in Oxford just last year. I went to see and I hadn't seen before, but there were these sketches. He had sketched while Edith was playing piano. So Edith probably didn't know, yeah. you know she was playing the piano. And so I, I think that there's a very deep-rooted instrumental inspiration that Edith gave him, mm -hmm. you know, that we can understand but perhaps not in a profound, because I wasn't there, yeah. in a profound level. And I think that was something that was, I wanted to show how important Edith was for him. And they, their love story is it's amazing. I mean, it's, when you look at it, it feels like it's written for a film. If, yeah. I would write, if I would write that story in a you know, script and show it to the producer, they would probably say, ah, that didn't happen, you know, come yeah, on, too that's, <laughs> that's too gone in the wind, you know. You know yeah. that, that didn't. And then, you know, this friendship, very deep, beautiful friendship, becoming a forbidden love and then become an eternal love, it struck me as one of the most uh, beautiful love stories I've ever encountered. Yeah. There's a scene where they're out for tea together. Their hands are involved and it's the, these two trees and the, the roots and it's so beautifully written and it's gorgeously shot. But the music around that, can you talk a little bit about that? That's yeah, it. I mean, it's, it's basically a homage to the two trees of Valinor, mm -hmm. which is, again, coming from the Silmarillion. But you don't ask you... You did probably didn't know this when you watched it, right? <laughs> yeah. So the idea is that, in a way, the whole film's idea is that he hasn't... It's not a film about the books. Not at all. He hasn't done them yet. You know, there are probably sketchings and some illustrations that he's done at that age. But this is a young man creating his... or confronting his own imagination mm. and shaping his world, shaping his ideas. So everything in these moments, all the fantasy elements or all the stories, or everything he hears, like even trees have a sound, but it's not yet the talk of dance. All our kind of ideas, or if we would talk about music, they're kind of, he's finding instruments, a voice there, an instrument from there, a sound from there, and slowly building his own theme, slowly building his own theme of the theme of his own creation. So in that specific scene, again, it's not yet the two trees of Valinor. It is an idea. His love was Love for trees was very instrumental. He was, you know, he, he, had, he was passionate about yeah. trees and he cared about and he hated when a tree had, when he was a child, he hated when a tree had been cut down without no reason. So he's using that kind of his superpower, his love for trees to create an idea. Mm. And that's how we want to show how he would 
create. And that's what's beautiful about Tolkien is that he got these ideas. He would write something and then that became something else. Mm-hmm. And that would spark something else. And we wanted to show that, how, how his creation worked. And through love in this case. Talking about the music on the tree, on, the, on that sequence. The music Tom uses there, of course, mm-hmm. as you noted, is it feels like it is the trees talking. Yeah. Right. So he plays with this against this instrument. Again, I don't know what the instrument is. I don't really want to know. <laughs> yeah. But I can imagine it's kind of coming from inside the tree. <laughs> yeah. That's what I feel when he played that fir- that cue for me yeah. for the first time. And then, of course, in sound, as in Silmarillion, when the two trees are cr- the Valinor are created, the world goes silent. So, of course, in sound, when we mix, the cafe goes silent. So when he's creating, we lose all the sounds yeah. of the cafe. Yeah. And it's just them do. It's just the story and Thomas' music. Tell me a story. What? The story of Celador. No, I can't. Why not? When someone asks me to play the piano. That's a different thing altogether. Tell me a story. In any language you want. Don't be ridiculous. The legend... Uh, I'm not a performing monkey. It begins with the arrival of a proud and opinionated princess. Yes, you're right about that. She demands entertainment. Princess Celador is bored. Bored of cakes and muffins and exquisite china. She longs for another life. It's not a name. What? Something else. Celador, it's not a princess's name. It can't be... Salador is a place. It's a place, an an ancient place, impossible to reach except by the most treacherous climb. It hangs, no. No. It's not a climb, it's not a climb, Salador. Door, door, road, path, it's path. Path through a dense, dark forest. Oh, is it now? And at the heart of Celador, which is actually a shrine, there stands an extraordinary sight. Is it a proud and opinionated princess? It is a place which is revered by all who know of it. A sacred place marked at its center by... By... By trees.
and the way as well that there's a great sense of the way that music can tell you so much more than words can sometimes as well is there's a, a kind of a hymn like piece when he's sketching and you can almost feel that that's his safe place mm. that everything else that's going on in his world in real life is kind of pushed to the outside because he's in his world sketching and this music just lets you know that he's this is his calm this is his inner peace mm. it's really really powerful mm. it's really great i hope that was the intent anyway there's always uh... <laughs> I think you're you're on the point, but I again would say that there's always a readers or a writers right. Yeah. I mean readers or viewers right to find themselves whatever they want to find. So I never I I tend to always say like What do you think? What do you think? <laughs> it's a very classic director it's a very classic director devout you know, how it's a defensive way of like not having to explain yeah, no, that's anything. That's not what I meant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. I mean there are some things where I'm very adamant about explaining yes <laughs> yeah. but but you know overall i think i just it's it's always wonderful to hear what other people think Another specific cue that I um, I just jotted down that really resonated with me, which was when he receives the letter from Jeffrey. Mm. It's one of my favorite cues. Oh. I cried when he played it first time. When Tom played it, just with his Los Angeles piano, where he kind of you know he wow. plays, yeah. and then he of course you know replayed it and re-recorded and added instruments. He had this idea of even adding birds in there because, you know, there's also a shot of bird later and there's kind of this passage of life. And I think I think I lacked courage at that point because there's a danger you start listening and we discussed about it. You start listening to the birds and not listening yeah. to the words from Jeffrey Smith when he reads the letter. So that's what kind of my worry because the words 
which oh, is, yeah. we are true to the word as he wrote that letter, is part of the music of the cue. But it's one of my favorite cues. Well, if it had that impact on you from it being so stripped back and purely piano, then it doesn't need anything else on it, really, does it? No, it doesn't. And, and then uh, and that was very much a lot of the themes worked already when they were kind of naked or bare. But then you have to add kind of the coding, which is more unique for this film. The theme itself of these, you know, these cues would be the motion. Yeah. But the coating kind of makes it Tolkien. Mm. So you need the coating in that kind of the cream on the top to yeah, make yeah. it Tolkien. But yeah. the theme itself is the emotion in that. It's a, and the emotion is human. It's, it's something we relate to because it's universal in its humanity. What I love as well about the score is that it's kind of timeless. Yes. It's not specific to that period at all. And I wondered if that was a conscious decision and communication that you had with Thomas about the overall kind of sound of the score. I mean, he's very servicing. I mean, as a composer, you th would think that a 14-time Oscar nominee would go like, this is the way we're going to do it. But no, he's very servicing to the director. And he's always very, let me listen to a couple of different options. Mm. And he might be very strong-willed on one option and one soundscape, but he, he likes to listen. He likes to listen to director, what the director is wanting to say, and kind of create from that. And I think, in general, his music is very timeless often. I mean, you know, a lot of the films have classic piano strings instruments, but we very early on spoke about it, that, you know, because it's Tolkien, it cannot be just like strings and piano. That would be by a big cliche. Yeah. So it has to be Tolkienite. And I think that makes it timeless. Yeah. Because unearthly mythological scapes are timeless. I mean, in the Middle Earth sagas or the Legendarium, of course, there is time and the concept of time, and there is the first, second, third, fourth age. But in our perspective, when you create music that is unearthly, it becomes timeless through that, in that sense. So you're right.
it wasn't kind of intentional. The other way I go often in biopics is that, you know, you do like every different decade and then the music kind of resonates that. Yeah. And we had that discussion at some point, but then it just withered away. It didn't feel meaningful. And also maybe perhaps because this is not that much of a biopic. I mean, you know, it's, it's a true life story to him, but, you know, it takes artistic license and changing years and changing events. He tries to focus on his emotion. So we always talked about what does Tolkien feel? And we wanted to be very true to him. Mm. Like if we take artistic license on years or events to, you know, to make the drama work, to make the best possible film. But what we always wanted to be is very true to the character. Mm. All the research, everything was done so thoroughly to make him right and make the other characters right. So then, of course, the music has to come from him and his emotion. So there's not kind of a main, there's no main theme mm -hmm. in this, and that's intentional because the main themes often, with Tom spoke, they often also they give an objective look. They look from the outside, yeah. whereas in this, the music looks from the inside mm -hmm. of his emotion and thrives from the. So when you're talking about a scene he writes or he creates, mm -hmm. the music portraying his emotional journey from an integral point of view. you say your relationship with music and how you approach music in your films has developed over a number of films from you know the Grant to Tom from Finland to, to this and, and previous to that? It's been very unique I mean the Grant for instance I worked with Hilmar Hilmarsson mm -hmm. who's a great and famous Icelandic composer and I was writing the script for the Grant I would listen to Hilmar's music Okay, interesting. And then, you know, and then the producer said, well, why don't we contact Hilmar? Maybe he would, you know, love to make the film. Yeah. And then did. So it's always very unique to the film. But I would have to say, for instance, working with Tom, is is one of the maybe the perhaps the first composers that I share a working energy. Yeah. Very often composers, I'm very, you know, hands waving and like most directors, I love to talk and then make people listen to me. <laughs> Gesticulate. <laughs> exactly. I'm, I'm, I'm it's not a surprise that directors love their own voice. And, um, well, you should listen back to this podcast. <laughs> exactly. <once. laughs> yeah, I, I will definitely and I'll repeat. Uh, but uh, but with, with Tom has an amazing, kind of, maybe it's also because there's so much sun in Los Angeles, so they're shiny, happy people over there, but he has this amazing, profound energy. And I love that working with him. So the energy would, you know, kind of he would, he would spitball ideas and the energy and the 
discussion with him was maybe perhaps something I haven't had with the composer before. And I think that generates ideas. So coming back to your question, sometimes you know that this is the sound, like with Hilmar and Hilmar, and it just felt that the sound was already in the script. Yeah. And sometimes it comes from the energy with the composer. When you are kind of debating and kind of, and he plays something, and I say we worked this on a year, you know, in January, almost a year, I mean, January 2018, he played something, the first kind of ideas and themes. Mm. And then December 6th, we locked the film. You know, so the first ideas, and then you listen to the first ideas, and you discuss, and your energy kind of creates it yeah. in a way. So it's, it's really individual. The answer is really individual mm. and project-driven how you approach it. Sometimes it's a set. You know before a word is put on page what's it's supposed to sound. Sometimes you know it when you've cut it and you watch it together with the composer. Do you listen to music a lot when you're writing? Is, do you need, is that something that you, you tend to do where you have... I do, I do. And I, I do pick, for instance, I did listen while I was driving during this project. I did listen to Tom's music to kind of get to know him also, yeah. to get to know the, his mu musical history, but also because it affects your choices, you know, affects your shots. You are kind of, you know, there's the classical Sergio Leone and Neo Morricone uh, yeah. method where the music kind of internally comes into the shots you're delivering or the material you're delivering from the shoot. Mm. And I think when you... Not always you know about the composer. Sometimes, like, for instance, in the co European co-production environment, I've had situations where I've had to shoot the film and you're in co-production system where you kind of have to find a head of department composer from a specific country. Yeah, okay. Some of my films have that history that basically, okay, the composer has to come from these and these and countries. So it kind of yeah. fills the so-called European co-production yeah. treaty point system. But when you have a situation like this that you're shooting knowing who the composer is, you can somehow bring his language into the shots and the material of the film mm. and then vice versa. Yeah. So I, I think that was that was very luxurious. So I would, you know, go to set, listening to on my earphones, How listen to Tom's choose? music. How did you choose what films of his the scores you'd listen to? Because like you say, there's a lot of them. Um you 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 don't pick one film. You kinda of pick cues from different yeah, films, yeah. kinda of make a playlist. I would, I would not listen to one soundtrack. I always like, make an own playlist and then pick one or two cues per film to fulfill, yeah. fulfill that playlist. I watched Wally -E again recently with my mm. kids and I'd kind of forgotten how absolutely yeah, the gorgeous. Stu stunning moments oh with the space and how the Lord. music talks with the space. Exactly, yeah. So kind of, it's so clever. It's such a clever, clever, clever score.
fan of Hilda as well, who mm. you worked on. Hilda is a magnificent. Oh, it I was, think it was amazing. It was striking with Tom of Finland. Uh, we had two composers in it. Hilda was the main composer. She would build the main themes. But the idea was basically also due to a little bit to Hilda's schedule and tight schedule. So in order to get her and her uh, voice into it, you know, we also had to fill fulfill it with another composer. So and this other composer lived in Los Angeles. So in Tom of Finland, where kind of the European segment comes with Hildur's voice, and she has this amazing, touching way of, you know, well, touching her cello, cello. And it's just striking how it felt like it's kind of in, like it's like chalk in Thomas Finland's hand. Like her hands touching the cello, it felt like it's chalk in Thomas Finland's hand, creating a drawing, an illustration. the American side is kind of done with more with computers or more with you know kind of so it's wide like America has a like a wide catalog yeah, in like Tom's mind and, yeah exactly so it's muscle and yeah. it's leather yeah and so we built it through that so the voice of the film changes mm -hmm. during during through these two composers
Ah. <laughs> Uh, I mean, I have a two-film deal with Fox Searchlight, and we we like working with each other, and they were very, very supportive, and as they are, they love authorship and they love directors that you know know what they want. Yeah. But also, I have to know what I want, and I don't know yet. I mean, there's a couple, there's a book that I like, there's a couple ideas I want to write myself, but of course, I'm doing marketing, so I yeah don't have the time yet. And um, is it important for you though to to be involved in that in the writing side of it in terms of? Yeah, if it is and why, really. Yeah, I mean, that it, you bring yourself into the script, if not writing it yourself, but developing it with the writer. And your voice comes through then. An ideal situation like in this, you know, we had an amazing, uh, for instance, I work with Stephen Beresford. He's an amazing writer and, and a wonderful, especially his dialogue and his pace of comic uh, abilities is very adamant. And, uh, you know, ideally you you find your voice with the writer. Yeah. And sometimes you just feel, okay, I've got to write this to myself. For instance, in these couple of ideas, I want to write the first draft myself and then invite another voice, the voice of the writer, to write it you know, with me. Mm-hmm. Kind of give an extra voice. And then again, I will go to shoot and continue. I often continue writing while I'm shooting. So, you know, I change scenes, yeah. I change the status, or I might rewrite a scene. And a lot of the actors actually liked it in Tolkien. I would bring in the morning kind of a, oh, here's the new dialogue. Yeah. And they love that because there is a fresh take. They've, you've rehearsed the scene as it was on paper. You know the emotion of it. But then you suddenly get a fresh point of views or a fresh set of dialogue. And well, that shows them that you're reacting to their performances yes. and, and how they're finding the character. Yeah. And, and that's, yeah. that's what film is about. You know, it's, it's constantly being on the moment, seeing, exploring things. And even the post phase, we would write or you know, edit or mold and shape with my editor, Harry Ullonen, whom I work with all my films, you know, also Tom of Finland, The Grump. You have to be open, you have to explore all the time. Always, can it be a little bit better? And the answer, what's next, is that once I've done these two months of marketing, <laughs> I will lie on the grass, and behind them, the last light of the sun will come behind the moment, it will hit the keyhole, and I will know which adventure it will lead me to. Oh, Domi, it's a pleasure chatting to you. Thank you. I'm really excited to see what's next. Thank, Thank you, you so much, much for your time. Thank you. From Thomas Newman's wonderful score to Tolkien, that's Sunlit. Rounding off this latest episode of Soundtracking with Dome Karakoski. And my huge thanks to Dome for taking the time to talk to us. Tolkien is on general release now with Thomas's score available via Sony Music Entertainment. 
Now we'll put up a Spotify playlist for this show via edithbowman.com, which is also the place to subscribe to the podcast and catch up with all of our previous shows. Hobbit fans, for instance, might be interested to hear my chat with Peter Jackson and Philippa Boyens. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. We are at Soundtracking UK. And don't forget to head to craftginclub.co.uk to claim 50% off your first order using the code SOUND50. Next up, I'm joined by Chad Stahelski and none other than Keanu Reeves to discuss John Wick and The Matrix. I very much look forward to the pleasure of your company then. Parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly.